Welcome to the Hypochondriac's Almanac podcast, recording for you guys on this Thursday evening. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got a special guest today, Darcy. I have roped her into coming on to the Hypochondriac show this week. Say hi, Darcy. Hello. If you are wondering, this is that crazy podcast for all of you out there who think you secretly have a new disease every time you have a sniffle, a slight twinge, or a headache. It's not a tumor. We understand. (laughs) We identify. And we have definitely scoped out WebMD more than a few hundred times. We are just here to talk about weird diseases, strange illnesses, crazy syndromes, and rare disorders. Before we get started, we need to talk about a few little disclaimers. First and foremost, we are not doctors or nurses or medical professionals of any kind. So please, please, please do not say take what we say on the show as medical advice. We are not trying to treat you, diagnose you, or fix your problems. If you have an issue, see a doctor. Don't guess or take what we say as a diagnostic tool. We just want to talk about all the fun, weird, and wild parts of the medical world in the past, present, and the future. Let's jump right in. So today's show, I've got a couple of articles with some crazy stuff that I saw on the news that I kind of want to talk about. And this first article sort of hits close to home because Darcy and I have both been, well, I used to be, but Darcy and I were both dog owners. So this next story is actually a story about a woman who had her hands and legs amputated after her dog licked her. Oh my gosh. Which seems frightening and extremely tragic at the same time. Days after turning home from a Punta Canta vacation, Marie Trainer called out of work with a backache and nausea. Then her temperature spiked and dropped, sending her to the local Stark County, Ohio medical emergency room in the early hours of May 11th. When she woke in a hospital bed nine days later, her hands and legs had been amputated. It took doctors seven days to discover Trainer incurred a severe infection, not from tropical travel disease as they first suspected, but from her German Shepherd's kisses. Trainer had contracted a rare infection from the bacteria, probably when her German Shepherd puppy licked an open cut. Oh, yikes. So Dr. Margaret Kobe, the medical director of infectious diseases at Altman Hospital in Canton, Ohio, treated Trainer and described her as delirious when she entered intensive care unit. Shortly after she became unconscious, her skin started changing rapidly to purplish red color, and then it progressed to gangrene. Trainer then, trainer then developed a blood clot. It was very difficult to identify. We're kind of the detectives, she said. We went through all kinds of diagnoses until we could narrow things down. So this is like a real live episode of House, right? And that's crazy because she just got back from Punta Cana, which is in the Dominican Republic, which has been having all of those crazy right? deaths, right? So I'm sure immediately they thought it had something to do with all that crazy shit, but... They were having to narrow it down little by little, but the infection spread to the tip of her nose, ears, legs, and face. She did not lose parts of her face, but her extremities are what she had to have surgery on, Kobe said. The family sought a second opinion before, obviously, hoping to save her limbs, but the doctor said the damage had already been done. Blood Mm. tests and cultures confirmed the diagnosis. This was a pretty hard pill for us to swallow to say she was fine a couple of days ago on vacation. And now she's actively getting worse by the minute. Her hands and feet aren't alive. Things like this just don't happen. It's 2019. Trainer has had eight 
surgeries so far and is working with doctors to get fitted for, prost for prosthesis. This is off the scale, one of the worst cases we have ever seen as far as how ill people become from infections. She was close to death. Oh this gosh. is some crazy shit. This woman Poor says puppy. she knows her German Shepherd puppy licked her and that it was a slightly small um, scratch, but that it got infected very quickly. It's very interesting because I guess only a very small percentage of human beings have the sort of allergy where this sort of a reaction would occur. Yeah. It only was because the dog looked an open wound, right? It wasn't because the dog just licked the skin. Right. It says when the bacteria spreads to humans, they do so through bites, scratches, and other close contact with dogs and cats. This isn't something that just comes off the surface of the skin. Most people in contact with dogs and cats don't get sick. Those at greatest risk are people with weakened immune systems, such as cancer patients or people who have had their spleens removed. Those who become ill may show symptoms within three to five days, although some, case signs, some cases may show signs much earlier. In rare cases, in rare cases excuse me, patients can develop septis, or sepsis. About three in ten people who develop a severe infection die, which is fucking scary. That's Whoa. still like 30%. Yeah. This particular strain of bacteria has been detected in up to 75% of dogs, according to the Centers for Disease Control. Animals Holy can shit. animals can be tested for, but those results can change according to the CDC. This particular strain of bacteria isn't on the list of reportable diseases, and experts say it's hard to pin down numbers on how rare these infections are. A report in 2015 found that fewer than 500 laboratory-confirmed cases had been reported since 1961, and the bacterium was not officially named as a new species until 1989. Wow. So... If I can take my dog to the vet and have her tested for this and it comes back positive, can they treat it as a bacterial infection for no. her? No. And that's the thing. They're carriers of it. They don't, it doesn't do anything to them. So why, what would be the purpose of me testing? So you can not let her ever lick and kiss you if you have a cut. So you can be more cautious and aware that this is something that could potentially cause you a great amount uh, of harm. But the problem is, according to this report, it's not something that you can necessarily work around because the test results can change according to the CDC. So they could have it at one point and not have it or not have it at one point and then suddenly have it. Or it just doesn't show up on a test. Yeah, that sounds very like scary. So this yeah. particular couple has two dogs and says they have no intention with parting with them despite this reaction. She asked her doctors if she could actually see her dogs during the healing process, and the pups have come to the hospital twice to visit. Mm -hmm. uh, she owns a salon, and her husband owns a local bar. They love riding motorcycles. Now their community has rallied around to help them raise money to support her medical expenses. A GoFundMe page has been set up and has raised nearly $20,000, although that is a very small sum when you consider the amount of money she has probably had to put out for the surgery and insurance typically... Yeah, so that probably doesn't make a dent in what she's already Yeah, insurance probably doesn't pay jack shit when it comes to all mm -hmm. those expenses. They hope to uh, have some fundraising events scheduled in August and beyond, and they attribute her strength to the support of her family. This particular wow. woman will soon move from the hospital to a rehabilitation facility to learn how to use her prosthesis. How old was she, or is she? She was in her 50s. So, wow. number one, she was not very old. Number two, mm -hmm. she was... It does not sound like she was compromised. She had a compromised immune system at all. 
which makes this even more frightening. Unless she had a compromised immune system just from traveling to another country. That is possible as well. Unless she just had like a weakened immune system just for like a temporary thing, you know? That is entirely possible. Given what we know now. Um, Right. What's interesting is I think that there is, I read somewhere that only less than 10% of the population is susceptible to um, getting some sort of an infection from a dog bite or from dog saliva. Which is I interesting. I sometimes have like an allergic reaction to um, like when my dog licks my arm or something. But so my, my like dog, like he's been gone for a few years now. Uh, he actually bit me a few times when I first got him when he was being trained because he was a rescue dog, right? So you never mm-hmm. necessarily know what you're getting into when you have a rescue animal. But he mm-hmm. bit me a couple of times and I never got an infection from it. I just cleaned it right. out with hydrogen peroxide and put some Neosporin on it. It healed up fast. I had never had an issue. On the other hand, I had somebody, a trainer that was working with me with the dog and Cooper was his name, bit the trainer and the trainer ended up getting an infection, an infection from the dog bite. Really? Yeah. And it ended up um, causing quite a bit of damage. So I ended up having to pay for that because, you know, as you may or may not be aware, if your dog bites somebody, regardless of whether that person, you know, egged the dog on or came into your yard when they weren't supposed to, you are responsible for the bite of the dog. There is no one bite rule. You don't get a warning shot. None of that applies. If your animal or a, a creature in your possession does damage to somebody else, you are responsible for that damage, period. Yeah, Layla and I were invited to leave uh, my apartments in Solana Beach because um, in January of 2014, I had shoulder surgery and I did not have laundry in my apartment. And so I'm like walking up with my huge laundry basket, my arm in a sling, like my hands are full, all this, that, and the other. And I open up my apartment door and behind me, like coming up the stairwell, it was a maintenance man holding like a wrench. Yeah. So I open the door. Layla sees a maintenance man or a man running up behind me with a wrench. So she ran out and bit him because clearly, me. clearly she's watching too many Friday the Thirteenth movies <laughs> and sees him she as she got it from Jason. Her mama. <laughs> um, but uh, she bit him on his leg. But it, it like it didn't break the skin, but it was like a pretty nasty welt, you know. Um, but we were, we were invited to leave those apartments. Yeah. So, and that didn't even get infected. But like, right. But like, what are you going to do? It's not like I could get mad at her for that. Cause like literally all she saw was a man running up behind me holding like a, something in his hand. You know what I mean? So like she thought she was helping me. So unfortunately, I think in many instances where dogs bite, I think that is a sort of a situation where I don't think they do it maliciously. I don't think that they do no. it because they want to cause harm. I think it ends up being most of the time an accident that shouldn't have happened because in most instances, dogs will will provide enough warning signs for you to back the fuck up back away and pay attention to what's going on. Wait for mommy and daddy to take care of it out of fear. Yes. Or you've been provoking them like too much. Like I've fucked with my friend's dog and she's like, I don't like this. I don't like this. And then she snapped and I'm like, that was my bad. Right. But if you look at that dog and, and when you're fucking with her, her, usually her hackles are up her ears are cocked back. I mean, there are very, very visible signs with animals that tell you they are uncomfortable and unhappy and to stop it. Right. And that's when like we don't we don't line. pay attention to this is when people get bit and injuries happen yeah. and then you have to put the dog down because somebody's been stupid. Yeah. 
So, but now that's that's for like adult dogs. Like puppies, they have to learn. Like they, that's how they socialize. They bite, and then you're like, "Don't do that!" Ow! And then like, "Oh, that was bad." Like that's yeah. how they learn. So like, this woman getting the infection, like her puppy was probably just like socializing and learning how to be. Her you know puppy I mean? didn't. Like, puppy. He didn't even bite her. He licked her. Oh, that's right. He licked her. That's right. He didn't yeah. even bite her. There was nothing malicious yeah. about what happened. He was happy to see her. He gave her a lick, and it just happened to have been on an open wound, which is awful. And German shepherds are so sweet. Yeah. So, and this is likewise sort of an issue with dogs. I know that my dog, went, you know, rest his little soul, he passed away about a year and a half ago, but um, he actually got into a couple little tiffs at the dog park, and for the most part, Every time he got bit by another dog and it broke the skin, I would just clean it out, put a little, mm-hmm. you know, Neosporin, a little hydrogen peroxide on, and he would be fine. But there was one particular dog that would attack him anytime he got anywhere near, and he was over at this house, and somebody forgot to shut the door, and this big-ass dog came running out at him, bit him on the back flank, and within six hours, it was the size of a football. Oh, my God. And I had to take rush him to the vet. And, like... He was barely the size of a football. Yeah, yeah. I had to rush him to the vet, and they had to drain the wound and do emergency surgery on him, and it happened within six hours. So the bite wow. happened at about 7 o'clock at night, and I cleaned it out and was thinking, oh, he'll be fine. And he kind of whimpered a little bit through the night, and I you know, went to bed, woke up the next morning, and he was just a swollen mess. So this bacteria can impact animals as well as human beings, yeah. and it is not in every animal. It is in just a, a small fraction of the population. So be aware if you get bit by an animal you should probably seek medical care right away just to be safe that's what we always recommend for the people that are out there with pets because you never know the best course of action is always to clean it out immediately do not think oh i'll be fine i can take care of it later which is what happened with the the, the guy who got bit by Cooper earlier, he didn't clean it out, didn't go home and take care of it. He went home and took a nap and then woke up and it was mm-hmm. infected. So always, always, always. Well, and they clean also have to report it to the county too anytime there's a dog bite. So that's that's just a good idea too to just go get medical attention and they'll report it to the county. And then if there's any complications, then, then well, it's on record. I mean, the thing is, they, he didn't want to do he didn't want to be a dick to me because it was my dog, right? Right. So he didn't say right. anything. But I still had to pay for it. (laughs) So anyway, uh, the next story that I have for today is an interesting one as well. And this is something that I pulled up on. um, It was actually a Facebook article that somebody had posted on their profile. And it's actually about doctors prescribing music therapy for heart ailments, brain dysfunction, learning disabilities, depression, PTSD, Alzheimer's, childhood development, and more. So... There's always sort of been this kind of saying out there that music soothes the savage beast. Have you heard that statement? I have heard that statement. I thought you were going to say music soothes the soul, but... That too. But it is starting to really show up in scientific studies a lot where they're showing that it is a very important component of human culture. We use it for ceremonial sorts of things. We use it for medical usage, personal motivation, concentration, mood shifting... It is actually a very powerful bomb for the human mm-hmm. soul. Um, and now they're and, starting... And memory, too. Like, there's a very big link between music and memory. Right. So we're starting to use music therapy to sort of encompass a very specific set of practices and using it as a very therapeutic tool. And it's helping a lot of people. 
So some doctors are using music to control blood pressure and heart-related disorders. Hmm. According to the Cardiovascular Society of Great Britain, listening to certain music with repetitive rhythm, rhythm for at least 10 seconds can lead to a decrease in blood pressure and a reduced heart rate. Interesting. Additionally, certain classical compositions, if matched with human body's rhythm, can be therapeutically used to keep the heart under control. I think that's crazy because when most of like that classical music was written, it was like 1700s, 1800s, right? right? So like there was no way to know that, that like you were writing it in this rhythm that was actually physiologically therapeutic. Yeah. And now that we have the technology to actually study it, like now we can see that like, it's just a natural rhythm and that it's people like, have that people didn't even know that they were writing this music in. An age old kind of a primitive thing almost. Uh-huh. Um, the second part of this is listening and playing music helps treat stress and depression, which seems a little bit more obvious to me than the heart rate issue. But yeah. When it comes to the human brain, music is one of the best medicines, they say. A study at yeah. a university in Canada revealed that listening to agreeable music encourages the production of brain chemicals, specifically the feel-good hormone known as dopamine. Dopamine happens to be an integral part of brain's pleasure-enhancing systems, and as a result, music leads to a great feeling of joy and bliss. But it's not only listening to music that has a positive effect on stress and depression. They're starting to compile a comprehensive list of benefits of playing music, which includes reducing stress in both the emotional level and molecular level. Additionally, studies have shown that adults who play music produce higher levels of human growth hormone, which can regulate body composition, body fluids, muscle, bone, and growth, sugar and fat metabolism, and possibly help regulate heart function. Um, just anecdotally, when I first moved out to San Diego, I grew up and I used to play the piano when I was little. Um, and I moved out to San Diego and I didn't know anybody. This is before I joined Bobby, um, and started playing volleyball. Um, and I just went through like a really severe depression of just being isolated and everything. And uh-huh. I went out and bought like a little electric keyboard that I actually still have. And I played it for a couple months in San Diego. And it was just, it was one of those things. Like, I don't know if it was the music that actually, help me get out of depression or if it was like taking me back to when I would sit at home and like sit by myself and practice and stuff like that. And it took me back to like that childhood so, that helped me. But I like just anecdotally, it was really helpful. I have a very, a very critical question here. Was it one of those sweet guitar pianos? I wish. A guitar? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah. That no, was, was that was a thing. Standard keyboard i was i wish i was cool enough for a keytar so they're also using musical therapy to help alzheimer's patients now and they say that that's to do with the memory thing they say that it's working wonders on patients suffering from alzheimer's disease because those people are losing their capacity to have interactions and carry on interactive communications According to studies done in partnership with alzheimer's foundation of america when they use appropriate music It can shift the mood, manage stress-reduced agitation, stimulate positive interactions, facilitate cognitive function, and coordinate motor movements. Yeah, I believe that. Very, very interesting. Music can also boost academic achievement in high schoolers. I had no idea. I also use that anecdotally. I have to listen to music when I study. I can't just sit in silence. My brain will, my mind will wander. Like, I ask, I'm... So it's been a while since I've been on the show. So as a way of reintroduction, I'm um, a doctoral student 
And like, I have asked at the doctoral level, like you kind of have a little bit more independence and like trust from your teachers and stuff. Right. But when I've taken tests, I've asked if I can listen to music because it really helps me. Like I can, if I have something going on in between my ears in the background, I can focus on what it is that I'm reading and what I'm working on. Yeah. For reals. Early exposure to music increases the plasticity, which is a cool word, Mm -hmm. of brain helping to motivate the human brain's capacity in such a way that it responds readily to learning, changing, and growing. UCLA Mm -hmm. professors are analyzing the academic achievement of 6,500 low-income students and finding that by the time these students are in the 10th grade, 41% of those who've taken arts courses score in the top half on standardized tests, contrasted with only 25% of those who had minimal arts experience. So that's a pretty significant number. Yeah, for sure. The art students were also better readers and watched less television. Huh. So this really shows, according to researchers, that formative in the formative stages of life, kids who study music do much better in school. Yeah. And, and we already know that like between like 10 and 15, music is really formative like the music you listen to when you were like an early teenager like i still have an emotional attachment to you you know which is why it's all the more disturbing to hear that so many of these schools and educational programs are slashing money for music and musical programs when it has been shown time and time again that it is so critical like, can't we just get well, rid of... we're doing the same on a kind of a different note. We're, we're, we're cutting phys ed, too. And we know that phys ed is really beneficial to academic performance, too. Can't we and just get rid of, like... arts and phys ed. Can't we just get rid of, like, algebra or something? I mean, I don't use algebra anymore. We're ever. already so far <laughs> behind all the other countries when it comes to math and science. I didn't say science. So... I just said algebra. I, well, I'm doing a PhD in science, and I use algebra and trigonometry all the time. Yeah, well, how many people are doing but a I'm PhD not, program? Less than 1% yeah, of the population, I'm, I'm, so just saying. Typical. So playing guitar and other instruments aids in treating PTSD. Hmm. So I know that we did a episode on our sister podcast, Bizarre and Fascinating Details, about PTSD, but interestingly enough... The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs is doing studies where they're showing veterans have experience with PTSD have experienced relief by learning to play the guitar. The organization responsible for this is providing guitars and for, through a program called Guitars for Vets, which enhances the lives of alien injured veterans by providing them free guitars and music instruction. Playing music for recovery from PTSD resembles traditional musical therapy in which patients are encouraged to take part of the healing process. Guitars are not the only instrument that can help with PTSD, though. In fact, Operation We Are Here has an extensive list of therapeutic music opportunities for military veterans. So music definitely is soothing those savage beasts. And we had a whole conversation about that, about what... Yeah. Stress, post-traumatic stress disorder from military combat can do to men and women after they're in combat type situations. And they really need all the help they can get. And if they can do it through music, then that is a relatively inexpensive way to provide some relief for those men and women. Yeah, those are the kind of charities like I wish got more attention because there could really be some good, positive 
outcomes from giving those kinds of groups more more funding. Absolutely. Um, This next little portion here is kind of covered a little bit in the earlier topic, but it says studying music boosts brain development in young children. This sort of seems like a given to me. Mm-hmm. But research-based study undertaken at the University of Liverpool in the field of neuroscience has l- shed some light on the beneficial effects of early exposure to music. According to the findings, even half an hour of musical training per day is sufficient to increase the flow of blood to the child's brain in the correct hemisphere, which could result in higher levels of early childhood development. Hmm. The Portland Chamber Orchestra shares playing a musical instrument involves multiple components of the central brain and spinal cord and peripheral nerves outside the brain and spinal cord nervous systems. As a musician plays an instrument, motor systems in the brain control both gross and fine movements needed to produce sound. The sound is processed by auditory circulatory or circuitry, which in turn can adjust signaling by the motor control centers. In addition, sensory mm-hmm. information from the fingers, hands, and arms is sent to the brain for processing. If the brain, if the musician is reading music, visual information is sent to the brain for processing and interpreting commands for the motor centers. And of course, the brain processes emotional responses to the music as well. So mm-hmm. it's an overall beneficial sort of a thing for children whose brains are like little sponges. Yeah. And to kind of break that down a little bit more, so basically what that's saying is you have um, your central nervous system, which is your brain and your spinal cord, and then you have the peripheral nervous system, which is all the nerves um, that branch off from your spinal cord. And those are basically broken down into motor, which cause movement, and sensory, which obviously sense, like, your your senses, right? So if you are playing music, you, um, your, your, your brain, your, your, causing the movement with the motor neurons and then you're also sensing the music in terms of either you're reading it you're feeling where your fingers are um and you're hearing it and so all of these things are working like in a continuous like circular motion so like the sensory input is going to the brain and then that tells your brain tells the motor motor neurons to continually fire in that same pattern and so like to think like it's such a complex system when it comes to playing music and then you add reading music to it and it's like, it's so wild. The next section here says music education helps children improve reading skills. Yeah. So journal of psychology from of music reports that children exposed to a multi-year program of music tuition involving training in increasingly complex rhythmic tonal and practice skills display superior cognitive performance in reading skills compared with their non-musically trained peers. So children that are being forced to learn how to read a musical sheet musical scores Mm -hmm. tend to do better in school because it aids in the child's kinesthetic is it kin kinesthetic 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 development you said it right the first time yeah song facilities that makes sense because you have to comprehend what you're reading at a very early age when you read music Exactly. And in the initial stages of learning and development, music arouses auditory, emotional, cognitive, and visual responses in children. And it aids in that development. According to the research-supported evidence, a song facilitates language learning far more effectively than speech. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, It's like, do you remember learning the 50 states, that song? No. I never learned the 50 states that way. You never learned it? Oh. No. I learned the 50 states. I still, like, sing it to myself when it's like, I learned it in alphabetical order, like, all the 50 states in alphabetical order, and I learned it through a song, and I learned it in, like, third grade, and I still remember it, and I still sometimes sing it when I'm trying to, like, 
I don't know, I do like a dumb quiz online or whatever, and it's like, can you name all the 50 states? And I name them in alpha, I list them in alphabetical order, and I do it because I like play the song in my head. How funny. I never had that as a learning technique. I guess my teachers weren't up on all the latest techniques. Well, you know us in Alabama and how advanced we are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> listening to music helps improve sleep. Oh, damn. Right? I need to get on, back on that. According to the Centers for Cardiovascular Disease in China, listening to music before and during sleep greatly aids people who suffer from chronic sleep disorders. This music-assisted relaxation can be used to treat both acute and chronic sleep disorders, which include everything from stress and anxiety to insomnia. Here's a good one. Playing the diggeridoo helps treat sleep apnea. The didgeridoo. <laughs> didgeridoo is a fun little instrument. Right? How often you get to use that in any articles, research, anything? I guess that takes a lot of lung capacity. Is that why? I don't know. But a study, a study published in the British <laughs> Medical Journal shows people suffering from sleep apnea can find relief by practicing the Australian wind instrument known as the didgeridoo. Didgeridoo? Didgeridoo. Didgeridoo. Patients who play the didgeridoo for an average of 30 minutes per day, six days per week, saw significant increases in the quality God of their damn, sleep. that's a lot of didgeridoo. <laughs> and decreases in daytime tiredness after a minimum period of three months of practice. That seems like a lot of didgeridoo, though, to be able to do minutes, that. 30 minutes, six times a week for three months. That's all you need to cure your sleep. Right? That's a and lot. it's a practice <laughs> for three months. Dr. Jordan Stern of Blue Sheep says the treatment of sleep apnea is quite challenging because there is not a single treatment that works for every patient. The didgeridoo has been used to treat sleep apnea and it has been shown to be effective in part because of the strengthening of the muscles in pharyngeal. Yeah, pharyngeal. Which means the muscles of the throat as well as the muscles of the tongue. So it basically bulks up and strengthens the muscles of the throat and tongue so they don't get slack and create snoring, which closes the throat. Because essentially when you have sleep apnea, the throat relaxes itself completely and closes instead of Mm -hmm. holding firm and stiff to keep it open to continue to breathe. So very interesting that learning how to play the didgeridoo helps strengthen those muscles so they don't relax on their own and collapse during sleep and cause that sleep apnea reaction. Whenever I hear stuff like that, I always think about the first person to discover that. Like, who was the first person that was like, I wonder if the didgeridoo. I don't know, though. I tend to think that some of these Aborigines and um, native cultures have a lot of really useful and effective techniques for dealing with things that we don't ever think of. And those people have been literally practicing those techniques for thousands of fucking years. Whereas right, but how they old are, they're not practicing it as, as a solution. To maybe they that. are. How, how do we know they're not? They have, and they're healthy probably, and happy. This is probably how it came out. They, 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 they probably, somebody probably looked at Aborigine um, populations and they notice that they have a very low rate of sleep apnea. And part of that is, um, because sleep apnea is also linked to obesity, but, um, they probably like saw that and they're like, what are some of the things that Aborigine populations have like in their everyday lifestyle? And they looked at the didgeridoo and that's probably how they like came across that. But like, that's such a wild, like the first person that thought of that is probably like, guys, what if it's the didgeridoo? There's some and his fucking are like what the fuck. There's some weird the person out there that's like, I really want to talk about the didgeridoo, so we need to find some things that the didgeridoo can help with, so I that we can't wait use to it. get in on this didgeridoo, <laughs> so we can use this shit because the didgeridoo, the didgeridoo feels like a instrument Matthew McConaughey like just plays as a hobby, doesn't it? 
This really like it just is a weird. This thing. really feels like this is the most times I've ever said the word didgeridoo in one. Didgeridoo? In but one fun. setting. <laughs> Fun to say. Say it a few more times, just because I don't think we've gotten everything out of our systems yet. No, no, yeah, definitely not. So on the whole, music seems to be a very, very effective tool for helping people with a lot of ailments. Would you agree? I would agree, and both from personal experience and um, this awesome research on the didgeridoo. (laughs) Yeah, got another one in there. Didgeridoo pretty much nailed it. That was like the final like piece in that puzzle that I needed to really convince me that the, that the didgeridoo, the didgeridoo is it. (laughs) This is going to fix everything in our society. It will usher in world peace. It will get rid of brain tumors. (laughs) We need to get on this, this trend immediately. I wonder how much it costs to buy a didgeridoo. I don't think they're that expensive. It can't be. It's like bamboo or something, isn't it? I have no fucking idea. I thought it was curved out of wood. It's an Australian Aboriginal wind instrument in the form of a long wooden tube. <laughs> traditionally made from a hollow branch. Which is blown to produce a deep resonant sound, varied by the rhythmic accents of timber and volume. Isn't that wonderful? Somebody that spent, is wonderful. Somebody spent a lot of time. It actually is very um, soothing to listen to. Yeah? Uh, apparently, it's primarily made of eucalyptus. Yeah, you probably heard it. You just didn't realize that's what you were hearing. Sounds pretty fucking rad. So, go get yourself a didgeridoo, and you will feel better instantly. I guarantee it. <laughs> but at the same time, we're not trying to treat your medical ailments. Go get diagnosed first. Yeah, you can get one for 30 bucks. Go get diagnosed first, then go, then go get your didgeridoo. But, like, you can also just get a didgeridoo. Um, just but for not fun, treat it for medical, not use it for medical. Treatment. You could use just it for fun or, or decorative purposes, you know, as exactly. well. Or you could make some sweet YouTube videos. That would work too. I mean, it's not going to hurt your sleep though, is what we're saying. Right. It's, it may not cure you, but it's not going to hurt you. Right. Right. So this is the point in the show though, where we start to wrap it up, folks. We hope that you enjoyed our impromptu sort of episode today with current events in the news. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send us an email. We're at it's hypoalmapodcast at gmail.com. What is happening? <laughs> or hypochondriacsalmanac at gmail.com. We will put that in the show notes because that was super confusing. Please join us again. Oh, I just want to give Darcy here, an extra shout out. Thank you so much for joining us on the show this week to share some of your professional and medical opinions and your PhD candidacy opinion viewpoint, because that's so critical. This is fun. Right? It, it has nothing to do with what we talked about today, but it was fun. Right? Please join us again next week when we talk more about strange medical news, conditions, and treatments. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay healthy, keep it real, and always live your best life. Bye. Bye-bye. Get a digital boot.